0: Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery, We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at JodyStevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted. By addiction online at heart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey, friends, welcome back to Genuine Life Recovery. Of course, my name is Jody Stevens and I'm here with my husband, Aaron. Uh, how are you
1: (laughs) older and more sober how about that
0: older and more sober so today we're gonna talk about how to stay sober for 21 years I don't even know the answer to that because I haven't been sober for 21 years I've been sober for 18 years and you my love have been sober for 21 years so that is what we're talking about today and uh, thank you so much for listening and you turned 21 just a couple days ago.
1: Yeah, on the 1st. I think today is like the 5th or 6th, right? Just I mean, who's it, keeping track?
0: Yeah, it's easy to remember because it's the day after Halloween, so. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, I think today is November the 6th, so it was six days ago, so there you go.
0: Wow, wow.
1: 21 years.
0: That's, That's- amazing.
1: It's a lifetime for many people, you know?
0: It is a lifetime, and a lot of people that are listening, maybe they're struggling with an addiction, or they have a loved one, or a family member struggling with addiction, and the question is, how do you do it? How do you stay sober for that long? Um, And so between the two of us, that makes, I don't know, like 39 Yeah. Years of sobriety. Thirty nine years. Uh you know, it's it's pretty cool and every day is a blessing and life is life is really fun, sober. But take us kind of back to the beginning, you know, how it all started for you, the drinking and just what I always like to say, where were you? Right? What happened? Or we say as Christians, where were you? What did God do? (laughs) Right. And and where are you now? Right? And then we'll get into some of the weeds of the story, right?
1: So the um, the Reader's Digest version is I was about 325 pounds. I was drinking every day, um, sometimes as many as, you know, 18, 24 beers in a day and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and so I had a, a circumstance where it was like um, near the end, I could not walk a flight of stairs without getting winded. Yeah. Um, you know, I was jaundiced. I was starting to have little minor health problems popping up. I was taking blood pressure medication. I was taking cholesterol medication.
0: And you weren't even 30. No, I way. was I was 31 when I 31. quit. Yeah. But
1: I I had been on blood pressure medication since my late 20s. And so, you know, wow. that's Yeah. You know, I'm 52 now. So, you know, blood pressure medication and cholesterol medication. Okay. That I'm 52.
0: <laughs> it's just part of but, your life. But you know, I'm but... 28. <laughs>
1: You know, and I'm taking all that stuff and, you know, huffing and puffing, going up a flight of stairs and all that neat stuff. You're not supposed to do that. And um, right, I had been trying to get sober since I was like 27. And, you know, my drinking just kept getting worse. I mean, it's not my story is not unique in that regard. If you hear people tell their story, especially people that were considered maintenance drinkers, people that drank every day like I did.
0: Well, I want to take you back a little further, though, because, see, we talk about in... In recovery, mainly mental health is like there's a point where a person would be, quote, diagnosed as a problem drinker. Sure. And then there's a point where you're answering, you know, three to five on the, you know, the DSM, the 11 signs that you're an alcoholic, you know. So at what point did, do you think you, well, first of all, what kind of started you drinking when you started drinking and using for you, it was more alcohol what was the experience like kind of how did it start and then when did you realize like okay i'm no longer just this problem drinker like i think i'm an alcoholic kind of a thing
1: well i um, started drinking when i was 14 and I don't yeah. refer to myself as a drug addict because every time I ever did drugs, I was drunk. <laughs> right. or drinking first. Let's so. see if we
0: can make the alcohol make us feel even I don't, better. <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: think I can recall a single time of smoking pot where I wasn't, you know, inebriated, yeah, you know, or yeah. buzzed, buzzed, you know, off of booze, you know, first. So there's that. When I was 14, I don't know. I think I would have been a problem drinker like right away because mm-hmm. I was getting... I was getting hammered you know from basically from jump street, and then um yeah. I don't know, I think I probably would have popped positive for being an alcoholic maybe at fifteen or sixteen. Mm-hmm. I just that it was just I drank to get wasted, I didn't drink for any other reason, and um you know, and I could only determine that you know, looking back, you know doing my doing my program later on, going through all that stuff and looking back at it and going hmm. That's probably where the problem started uh right away, like literally from age fourteen, I started getting in trouble behind my drinking almost right out of the box as well, sixteen, seventeen, you know um you know things of that nature. so I experienced a lot of consequences for my drinking like just right away and um
0: but they weren't enough. No, they didn't matter to. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: no, no, they weren't severe enough or anything like that. There were a few things that were pretty bad, like a DUI and some (laughs) got in trouble with when I was in the military and, you know, getting getting in bar fights and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just like at that, you know, at that point in my life, you know, hangovers and bar fights were just part of life. You know. and, and
0: the reason I laugh is because for a lot of people these types of things, getting the DUI, they would have been enough. But right. for both of us, they weren't because I got arrested too, and that really freaked me out for all of a week. You know, right. and I got my fake, my fake, or not my fake ID, but my legal ID because they took my driver's license, and I had to get that right away just so I could buy more booze because at that point I had turned twenty-one was my 21st birthday that I got arrested, but you know, I would continue on for a a longer than that. So what do you think caused the addictive behavior? Do you think it was um, trauma? Do you think it was just genetics? Like we both have addiction throughout all of our family. So for me, like I grew up in Alaska and everybody drank up there and there were a lot of alcoholics in the family there was some dysfunction so i kind of had the perfect storm and i'm asking you this even though i already kind of know because you know we're married right but. yeah yeah I will. <laughs> but you're i think you're kind of like me like you had all of that swirling together because people say well what causes addiction yeah it's genetics yeah it's environmental right alaska you know well it's
1: if, funny i mean people hear you're from alaska they're fr- you're from alaska and you're drunk okay yeah right i mean hand in yeah. hand right so and i mean you know most of my childhood or at least when i was a teenager on up was in fresno so <laughs> you know when when I start speaking Spanish to somebody, as soon as they ask me how I learned how to speak Spanish, I tell them I grew up in Fresno. Right. Well, go to a meeting, tell people I'm an alcoholic. I grew up in Fresno. They kind of nod their head. Cause like, you know, if you're not, you know, farming, you're drinking. I mean, that's kind of Fresno. Now anymore, it's like a half a million people. So it's a little bit more complicated.
0: Yeah.
1: But, um, I think in my case, uh, my family history is is what it is. I mean, my family tree is a mess uh with yeah. with various forms of addiction like, you know, there's food addicts, there's drug addicts, there's alcoholics, there's, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. But um you know, my upbringing definitely caused a lot of uh, a lot of issues and stuff like that. So you just, you know, it's the toxic cocktail they say nature yeah. and nurture. I had it all, I mean. Mm-hmm if some shrink or some professional, you know, was to, you know, to go through my story and what have you, they'd see just like, you know, hell, I practically checked every single, I checked every single prerequisite, you know? And, um, I think the thing though, that's key now, like 21 years later is that I feel like I've checked every box to get out of it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, as, as well. And so, you know, I've now, at 21 years sober, I've now been sober longer than I drank. I drank 17 years, and I've been wow. sober 21 years. So I think you're at about equilibrium. I think at 18, you're, you you drank for about 18 years, right?
0: Uh, so I started when I was 14. Okay, and you got one more year to go. You need I was,
1: 19 to tie.
0: Yeah, I was 33 yeah. when I quit.
1: So next year, you'll be able, to, you'll be able to, to say you've been sober as long as you drank for. But I, I think... And I think you were headed here next was like just talking about what, you know, I did over time to to get there.
0: Yeah. You know, the the only other thing I was going to say about the family dynamics and stuff like that, you know, the nature versus nurture is it's interesting because when there is heavy addiction in the family – the question is always, so what came first, the addiction or the dysfunction? And, in the, and, and when you're experiencing right. dysfunction, your brain is forming. So your right. brain is forming differently and it's forming to turn to the addiction because you can't turn...
1: To to the caregiver
0: else. or the, you know what I mean? And so right. a lot of people say, oh, well, the um, the avoidance behavior that we tend to adopt as Americans could have started during the war, like during the early days of World War I and World War II, where, where, where people had so much trauma that they were avoiding stuff. And then the avoidance and the dysfunction and the codependent relating patterns then causes this addictive behavior. So it cycles on each other. So when people are like, oh, well, what causes a addiction, you know. Is it trauma? Yes. Is there genetics? Yes. Was my biological wiring messed up? Yes. Right. right. Is it spiritual? Well yes, because if we look at the biblical aspect it says all are fall fall under, you know, sin and and, you know, right, admitted we were powerless over sin. So um, I, just I just think, think that's you an interesting have, point. You know? I think
1: you have to have both though. I, I think you have to have nature and nurture because I know a lot of people come from addictive families and <clears throat> perfectly normal drinkers. Yeah, yeah. But, I, but they didn't have like the, you know, abuse and manipulation and control and all that stuff that we had for, in our childhoods. And so they're perfectly okay. And I've had other people who've had horrific childhoods who don't have – you know, family yeah. history of addiction they were able to, to get out of it, you know, and even rarer still are people that, you know, just get healed from it completely and just walk away from it and never go back. I would submit that they weren't alcoholics or drug addicts to begin with. Anyway, they were in the problem stage and they just got delivered and rescued before it. Um, yeah. and I think for me, understanding how I made it to 21 years sober is understanding what I did, you know, what today looks like versus what yesterday was. And so we could go through a few of those steps, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, so you're in there, you're, you're trying to get sober uh, usually when people are initially new in recovery, they don't really know what's going on. They don't really think they have a problem. Typically we were going to do this show on, is there a cure for addiction? And we'll do that another time. But yeah. typically they're in there going, Hey man, is there a way that I can have my cake and eat it too? Cause that's the first thing we want is to bargain. Right. It's just like when someone dies, the bargaining process, that's what we want because it is like the death of a loved one. If this was your coping mechanism for your whole life, it's like taking away your survival mechanism. So you want to figure out how can I bargain with it? How can I keep it? Right. Like, like that's why Well, we're... I was
1: lucky because for me, I, uh, very, I, I tried to get clean many times and, right. and couldn't get much more in a couple of weeks before I, you know, relapse again and stuff. And, and, um, this last time, you know, I was just like, I was scared, you know, cause like I, what I saw in the mirror the morning I quit drinking looked like, looked dead, looked like a freaking zombie. And um, I was way too young to be feeling the way I, I did and what yeah. have you. So that was kind of the shock therapy to get me to try something different. But then I also had the benefit of Rage and Ray, which is a story oh, I've yeah. told many times before. This guy's sitting in a meeting and he's like, oh, I'm 16 years, six months sober. I don't do the suggested program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just you know go to a meeting and i don't drink between meetings and this guy was just like pissed and he was angry and it's like i was looking at that dude going, man if i am still that bleeped up when i'm 16 and a half years sober i might as well just go eat my 45 yeah so for me it was a really simple choice like do i live or do i die
0: and that yeah. was when you understood underlying issues. For those of us that don't know right. what is underlying issues, right? It wasn't the alcohol. I mean, you took the booze away from Rage and Ray, and he was raging. And right. Rage and So it wasn't the alcohol that was Rage and Ray's problem. It was that he was just and it was a dis-
1: And so where I'm going with this, and I think, you know, um, the reason why I was finally able to get it right after four and a half years of relapsing was that... Um, at that point, when I saw Rage and Ray, I understood I didn't have a choice. Rage and Ray. I had to hand everything that was wrong with me over. I yeah. couldn't hold on to anything. I mean, he used to say, well, I still have defects of character that I like. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, I I can't imagine what those are, dude. I really can't, because like I don't have any defects of character that I like. Yeah. So um, as I commenced on this journey to find out what my defects of character were and to, to ask God to clear them out, stuff like that, because I knew that the defects of character that I had would lead me to drink and that right. the drinking was lead me to, to destruction, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So when I started going through that journey, it was identifying that stuff and figuring out what I needed to do to clear it out. And by the way it's a process because I'm still finding out stuff about my nature and my nurture 21 years later. Yeah. That's, you know, it's still groundbreaking. I mean, I had a, a call the family member last night, you know, just learned some more stuff. And it was just, so I think really the key, the first key, right. First key that worked for me was like the total and complete surrender. Like I'm beat. I don't like what my life is right now. I don't want to die you know, real simple things like that, right? Yeah. My life is a mess. I don't want to die. I want to get out of this. And then figuring out why it was a mess was part two. And that's where that four step that they talk about, the the searching and fearless moral inventory, mm-hmm. you start going through that four step and you start identifying that stuff. And and yeah. um So those that's step one and two. Step step one for me was Complete, total surrender. I don't want to be like this anymore. God, I want you to, to, to you know, save me from myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, step two is, why am I like this? Right. So this the step two part, I think, is what we could spend the rest of our time talking about, at least my step two. You know, they have the 12 steps that are what they are. But I think the the, the biggest thing for me was figuring out what I did and what others did and being able to separate the two because it's not fair. And it's not just understanding what my family did or understanding what, you know, well-meaning third parties, like some of the idiots that were in, you know, youth groups when I was growing up in church and things of that nature. They didn't understand. They were just trying to help. And being able to sort out between the bad things that I did, the bad things that they did, and understand that the other people they're never going to apologize or understand what they did. You just have to expect that every now and then you might get lucky and someone right. might say, man, I'm so sorry. You're, you're right. You know, I've been working, but that's rare. Most of the time it's being able to separate the, the things that you had absolutely no control over that other people did being able to forgive them for that, take that part out and then just deal with where I'm at and what I need to deal with in order to do that. And that process in church they call it sanctification. In the world we call it growing up. Yeah. But literally what happens is the big solution, the big way to um to to get sober, they say living life on life's terms, mm-hmm. or in the street terms growing up, you know, pulling your head out of your bleep and growing up. And so like my real secret in the to to what's helped me stay sober for 21 years is reminding myself every day that I need God. Yeah. Dear Lord, you know, give me wisdom, save me for myself. But then also, um, you know, just separating between like the things that I need to do and the things that other people are doing. Let them be be where they are. Nothing I can do about that. And just focusing on growing up and maturing and being more healthy as a person. Because I guarantee you that for the first three or four years, it was foreign. It felt artificial. It didn't feel fair. I mean hell in my first yeah. 3 years of sobriety we met and we got married and you know what the first few years of our marriage were like and stuff like that. It was know?
0: good but it was it was um drama, you know. Yeah, was... Obviously we were working through me being brand new sober and dealing with different aspects of the family and post-wedding drama and right and stuff like that yeah so it
1: wasn't fair but the i said you know for your for your viewers and this is what i tell people i'm like look the real the real drill here the real you want to know why aaron park has 21 years sober it's because i've been focused on trying to grow up yeah and the more mature that i get and the closer to god that i get like the temptation to, to use alcohol or any other substance for that matter, like just diminishes exponentially. Now...
0: Well, the other thing too, yeah. like when they talk about how you get a daily reprieve contingent on your spiritual condition. Right. So you constantly have to be working on it. Um, right. It's not, you don't have to be chained to AA meetings. Some people are, and that works for them. For me, gratitude is huge. If I If I get into negativity and I'm ungrateful, that's when things start to tick. And I know there's a problem. And for you, it's you know, those, those things that you were talking about. And so, you know, it's going to be different for everybody, but it's, it, it's a lifelong process. And then the other thing too, is the longer we're sober, the longer we're practicing gratitude, the longer we're doing those healthy things, our brain changes. Like it fixes our brain. Does that mean we could go back and drink and not be an alcoholic? Probably not. It wouldn't be no. something I'd want to try but again you're 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 slow it's like a it's like a psychotherapy process of just living and rewiring your brain and then of course you know the serenity part is i think the biggest part of all i mean i think that's huge and when when people are new in aa it's all about serenity and nobody knows what that means for years and so right. that's why i like one of the most watched YouTube videos I did was how to live the serenity prayer. What does it mean? Because people are like, oh, it's such a beautiful prayer. But how do you live it? What does it mean? (laughs) Right. You know, so what he was talking about is the serenity where it's like, because when we're obsessing over negative things, we're still trying to control them. And we're obsessing. I remember at one time, I clearly felt God say, you know, you spend so much time trying to control the things you can't control that you miss the opportunity to control the things that you can. And so it's in that prayer grant me the serenity to accept what I can't change. Then so serenity isn't sitting in a chair doing nothing. Serenity is to con- to control the gained. things that I can and then God then you show me the difference, right? You so give me the serenity from
1: mm-hmm. the decisions that you make. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's and it's part of the it's part of that maturation or sanctification process um, that, that I'm talking about I wanted to kind of tease for your viewers like we're gonna do the next video we do together is going to be on uh, can you get cured <laughs> yeah. So I want to share a story for everybody. Um, and this just happened recently,
0: but I have to interject and say, I don't want, I didn't mean to laugh when I say, can you get cured? Because that is a huge debate. Right. Um, and so we do want to break that down. What does it mean when someone says that they want to get cured? And, and we're talking about, you know, are we talking about individual cures or cures for the whole nation? So we'll, right. you know what I mean? I just wanted to say that, but, but anyway. Yeah, Continue the, on. the
1: idea here is that you know, for me, I would posit that the individual cure is a day-to-day process about the way you live your life and the choices yes. that you make. And so, the story I'm about ready to share that is kind of kind of lead into our next video, dear, is this. Um, as you recall, I had surgery in July.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the interesting thing is, is this surgery I had in July was to fix a problem that had existed since I was a teenager a problem most likely caused by my drinking, but it wasn't one that was major enough. Like every now and then I get some blood in my stool. Um mm-hmm. When I was younger, I got, I bled all the time in my, in my, in that area, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, hemorrhoids and other stuff that were directly caused by drinking. And so as soon as I quit drinking, right, the problem just went way, way down and what have you. And I had a surgery uh when I was 41. So about a little over 10 years ago, um, Uh, In that area and what have you that was related to a different problem. I had some kidney stones and then uh, I had a reaction to the pain pills and stuff like that. So I ended up having a surgery in that area because of 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 some problems. But now I'm still, you know, 10 years later after having this thing that should have fixed it, I'm still having bleeding in that area. So they, welcome to being 50. I have a colonoscopy for the first time in my life at 51 And the colonoscopy revealed that I had an ulcer in my colon, which was causing the bleeding that I thought had been fixed Mm -hmm. when I was in my early 40s, right? Yeah. Well, it's actually an ulcer in my colon, okay? That ulcer was definitely caused by my drinking and and other residual issues by And it's just like, so here's the bottom line, right? You may experience consequences from your drinking and your drugging 20 years after you quit. It's okay. Yeah. It's a reminder, right, that you're never exempt, from those decisions and what have you you just have to make keep making good choices but here's the punchline: i think god allowed me to experience this on purpose because boy it certainly brought a different perspective to me uh for this sober birthday than i've had in a a lot in a while because it's kind of like always posting the pictures of the 12-step thingy on my facebook and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but like this one was a little bit more real so i got I had this surgery to fix this ulcer in my colon. And the surgeon had warned me that this is one of the most sensitive areas in the body. Tons of nerve endings and what having it was going to be painful. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, yeah, right. It's a little tiny thing. You're only going to have me under for 20 minutes. What the heck? So after a couple of days, when all the dope that they give you to knock you out and all this other stuff started to wear off, it was bad.
0: Fentanyl, by the way.
1: Well, fentanyl is what they used to put me under. Um, Mm -hmm. And then...
0: Not dissing it, it's a great drug, it just doesn't belong on the street. Yeah, well, it lasted
1: issue. on me for two days, so there's that. So anyway, that that stuff wears off, and I am in pain. And so they had given me a, a short stack, because I'd been adamant with them that... I don't want a ton of opiates because I'm an alcoholic. Please don't give me a huge bottle of opiates. Right, and, they gave and then me,
0: you're out, and I've got to pick it up. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we are, two alcoholics with an opiate prescription. W- right, <laughs> but
1: fortunately, they only gave me 12 pills. and yeah. so yeah. First pill I took, and I can't even remember which opiate it was, and frankly, I don't care. The stuff's gone.
0: I believe it was oxy. Uh, I think it
1: was oxycodone. Yeah, I think it was oxycodone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I took it, and 30 minutes later, I was hired in a kite, and the pain was gone.
0: Yeah.
1: And the first thing that popped in my head, now mind you, at that time, 20 years, 10 months over, first thing that popped in my head was, wow, this feels great. Maybe I should take another one.
0: Or what, yeah, when can I take another one? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And 20 years and 10 months later, okay, it's still there. So I just think about that, like literally 20 years, 10 months later, I pop a pain pill for a distinct medical reason. I was in pain from a surgery, from a painful surgery that I had needed to have for 30 years, finally got it taken care of after all this time. And I and my brain says, wow, that feels good. Let's have another one. Whereas most yeah. normal people would take that crap and feel nauseated yeah. or whatever else or fe- feel that it's unnatural. But after all this time, like mm-hmm. I haven't been intoxicated in freaking 20, almost 21 years. I take one stupid oxycodone pill and I'm jonesing for another one yeah. after 20 years and 10 months. Now, just let that thought sink in for a little bit, you know, before we go, you know, and and talk about, you know, the next subject in the next episode. But I will tell you that the good news is this, that thought popped into my head and 30 seconds later, it was, no, Aaron, this is not how you live. This is what you got away from. This is what you spent the last two decades of your life getting away from you know, this is going to separate you from God. This is going to mess up this, this is going to mess up that. And literally that entire program of stuff that I built up over years kicked in. Mm -hmm. And like 90 seconds into this, I had no craving and no desire for that crap. It was, uh, well, I'm going to have to use that to get through this stuff. But literally that first time I had to go through that, and then my program kicked in and was able to save me from myself. But I was reminded that that engine, that motor, that muscle memory, Mm -hmm. spiritual memory, emotional memory, it's still there, and it's still waiting.
0: And see, that's what then separated you from the guy like Rage and Ray. It's that ability of the years of recovery of the therapy, which we've both done, of the 12 steps of the Bible reading of the church of sweeping off our side of the street, you know, it's all those things of practicing gratitude. It's all those things that make you realize and the self-reflection to be able to look at that. And I like Dr. Henry Cloud always says, play the tape forward, right? You play the tape forward. Okay. So, so I can start drinking again and then, you know, (laughs) In a nutshell, I would lose everything. But you could you could slow the tape down and right. see the slow progression of where it would go. And then I was even thinking, be like, oh my gosh, what if he gets into those opiates? And then all of a sudden, you know, and have I had just did my practicum in an opiate clinic, and then I was freaking out, going. You know, oh, d- did you like it? You, you, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna ask for any more, and then I'm all paranoid. I mean, so it set off this whole thing. But I'm like, yes, know. dear,
1: yes, dear, I liked it, and hell no, huh? I'm not getting any more of that stuff. And literally, just to just to tell you, like, I use one pill a day, even though it said I should use two or three. Mm-hmm. I use one pill a day. I was still in pain even after running through the twelve pills that they gave me, and I did not get any more. I actually put up with some pretty severe pain for about two or three days after that where I just took Tylenol and ibuprofen because it's like, look, guys, I haven't been in a bar in almost 25 years. I haven't been in a nightclub in almost 25 years. I don't, you know, one of my jobs, I have to do a lot of fundraisers and stuff like that, and I stay for about 45 minutes to an hour until you can start smelling the wine that they're serving, and I'm out of there yeah there are just certain things that I do that I don't let myself do, and it's you know it's it's a subset of what I was talking about earlier for how I've stayed sober for twenty one years but the point of it is is that if you do that maturation and that <laughs> sanctification, you develop coping mechanisms and you're able to take what happens in life like a yeah. surgery where I really did need the pain pills. I really did because there were a couple of times where I was in pain so bad I was shaking and I couldn't concentrate. And it, it is what it is, but I was able to develop the coping mechanisms to understand that, like, when my body was craving more of that crap, no, doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. You can't do that. You don't have the luxury to do that. So I needed that reminder that nearly 21 years into this game that I'm not exempt, that that part of my nature is still there and it's still waiting for me that as soon as I shove my head up my you-know-what stop <laughs> working yeah. my program stop praying, stop, you know, to the self-improvement, things of that nature, that that destruction is right there waiting for me. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. I think the, the upshot, obviously, you know, being sober for that long, there's a lot of different methods. There's a lot of little things in between. For us, a lot of the coping mechanisms is nature. We walk, we're outside a lot. You know, that's huge. the the gratitude piece is huge you know we both try to be grateful but I think the clincher of what you're saying is really just you know getting the help that you needed working the program and then surrendering you know practicing that serenity prayer which is you know really just the idea that we can change ourselves right and that you know the only way another person is going to change is is maybe if we change ourselves but that would be the only way (laughs) <laughs> right like if i change then you might change but it has to start with me right everything has to start with me you know it's like that pastor that at our church that said he came out he said i am responsible for every bad decision i've ever made right and when we can look at it that way not in a negative right not in a negative but just like wake up and say i've got no one to blame i'm i'm you know I'm in control here of certain things and then what I'm not in control of I give to God and pray for the people that I can't control and I think that frees up a lot yes it does (laughs) right that's it (laughs) Well, thank you so much, friends, for listening. Uh, If you'd leave a review on iTunes, I'd love it. Please share this program with anybody you know that is struggling with addiction. Maybe it's you, a family member, and you can listen on all the apps. This is on iTunes and Spotify and TuneIn. And the video version, if you're listening to this, the video version is also on YouTube. So thank you so much for hanging out, friends, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at JodyStevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, JodyStevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.